turn to the Gospel of John. I'm going to have you turn to two places. Uh, The Gospel of John, and that's going to be our main text, chapter 14. And then I'm also going to have you turn and kind of keep your place in Matthew chapter 7. And this morning, I, I want to preach a message to you that I have entitled, The Mark of Love. The Mark of Love. I want to preach a message to you on the subject of love, and specifically love for God. Out of all subjects in the Christian walk, this certainly is the most important subject, love for God. Love for God, it fuels our love and our worship. It fuels our obedience. It is the foundation of our relationship with God. In fact, it was Jesus who, when asked by a group of Pharisees what the greatest commandment was, answered in Mark 12. He said, the most important commandment is this, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. In his response to the Pharisees' question, Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament, specifically Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. He was quoting what is known as the Hebrew Shema. Moses had instructed the children of Israel to commit this verse to memory and rehearse it every morning and every evening. And what does the greatest commandment begin with? Hear, O Israel. Or in other words, a better translation would be, listen, O Israel. Jesus answers, what is the greatest commandment? Not with a commandment, but what is the very heart of the law, which is love. Love for God. It would seem then that throughout history, God has desired his people to have a deep-rooted understanding of what love for God should look like. Love is crucial for the life of every believer, so much so that Jesus said his disciples would be known. It would be known by their love, their love for him and their love for others. This might seem like a, a silly question today, but if I was to ask you, do you love God? Do you love God? I'm sure we would all enthusiastically agree, yes, we love God, we love Jesus. Some of you might be thinking, I love him, but I know that I could love him more. I know that I could love him better, and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm at church today, and to you, I would say that's a, that's a wonderful place to be. So we'd all agree in this room, we love God. Now, if I asked you a second question, this is where answers would vary. If I was to ask you, how do you love God? Or how do you measure your love for God? How do you know if it's strong? How do you know if it's weak? This is where the road would fork for many of us. Some would say, well, I, I know that I love God because I, I feel strong affection for God when I think of him or when I'm in times of praise and worship, my heart is moved. Some would say, well, I know that I love God because I love to read God's word. I, I seek to understand him more. I love theology. 
Some would say, well, I know that I love God because I think of God a lot. He's, he's on my mind often. I love to listen to worship music. I love to go outside and, and look at creation and think of how glorious and good God is. And look, to all of those answers and expressions of love, I would say, amen. They're beautiful. They're needed. The reason, though, that I bring up love for God and how we measure love, and we all know this, is because the goal in any serious relationship whether it's marriage, whether it's dating, uh, whether it's friendship, is to discover how the person that we are in a relationship with receives love, how to bless them, how to make them happy, and for the relationship to then deepen and thrive. We know that our God is a personal God, meaning he is a relational God. He has created us. He has hardwired us in the image of himself to know him, to love him, to exist in a loving union and relationship with him. You know, the Westminster Catechism, which is a collection of basic Christian teachings, Christian doctrines that was written in 1647 by the Westminster Assembly. They sought to answer the question, what is the chief end of man? And this is what they came, with, came up with. What is mankind's greatest purpose? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The reality is, though, that part of enjoying God and glorifying God is loving him and learning to love him better. Going back to what Jesus answered when he spoke with the Pharisees, if the greatest commandment is to love God, then the question that we should be asking ourselves today is, well, how do we love God and how do we love him well? The good news for us is that Jesus has, in fact, explicitly stated how we can love him in his word. And that's where we find ourselves today in John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 24. Would you read with me? John 14, verses 22 through 24. Beginning in verse 22, Judas, not Iscariot, that's an important note. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's pray one more time together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, that it is active. Um, Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here today among us. Would you open our hearts and open our ears to not just hear you, but to listen and to receive from your word? And would you speak to us? And Lord, we ask that you would speak into our lives and that each of us, Lord, would leave uh, here today having an encounter with you. We love you. Lord, help us to learn how to love you more, how to love you better for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Our text today here in John 14 comes from what is called and commonly known as the Upper Room Discourse. One of Jesus's most famous teachings, and it's recorded in chapters 13 and 14 of the Gospel of John. And our text today is taking place right in the middle of this conversation. 
In the upper room, Jesus is sharing one final Passover meal with his disciples, moments before his betrayal, his arrest, and his eventual crucifixion. And he is describing to his disciples what life and ministry is going to look like apart from his physical presence with his disciples. And here's a couple of things for us to take note of that take place in this conversation. First is this, Jesus has promised the equipping and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He's going away. Jesus is going to take the cross. He will be buried in the grave, but he will eventually resurrect and ascend to the right hand of the Father. He will accomplish his mission. However, he will not leave his disciples as orphans. He has promised the comfort. He has promised the help of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. We all know this very well. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet, and and in this act, he has redefined what true leadership looks like, and it is to be the servant of all. And thirdly, in our text today, Jesus now defines what love for God is to look like. We see in our text in verse 22 that one of the disciples named Judas, not the bad one, as I would tell my kids, not the bad one. Judas asks Jesus a brilliant question. Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us? Or in other words, how will you reveal yourself to us? Jesus answers in a very interesting way. Jesus brings up love. Jesus mentions three times within the span of nine verses this idea If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is a conditional statement from Jesus. Jesus is saying, if you do this, then this will take place in your life. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I I like how the New Living Translation puts verse 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. This brings me to my first point this morning. If you're taking down notes, and I would like to break this down with you this morning. Number one, love equals listening. Love equals listening. Jesus is saying that love for him, love for God begins when his teaching and his truth are kept. Or in other words, when his truth is observed in our lives and becomes our own. But I have a proposition to make to you all this morning. Before Jesus' words can become our own, before we can keep them, observe them, obey them, implement them in our lives, we need to listen to them. We need to listen to him. When I read this text, I find it helpful to consider that obedience and observance of God's commands begins with listening. So I would like to define listening. The definition should be on the screen. Listening is an active, voluntary, and intentional process that involves making sense of the words and sounds you hear. It requires your attention. Therefore, listening is active, it requires effort, it is the intentional interpretation of sound and ideas. The issue is, 
especially when it comes to our relationship with God, we often hear Jesus. We hear his words, but biblically, hearing is very different than listening. Hearing defined is this, it will be on the screen. Hearing is a passive, involuntary, sensory process in which we perceive sounds. Hearing doesn't require focused attention. I bring this up because I believe this is the tension for many of us in our relationship with Jesus. I think too often we simply hear Jesus. And and don't get me wrong, we appreciate what he says. We hear Jesus say, love your neighbor. And we think, ah, that feels good. We hear the greatest among you shall be your servant. Radical Jesus. We hear the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And we might think, well, Jesus, you're always for the underdog. We hear, take up your cross. Wow, Jesus, like, how poetic. God hates divorce. What? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Okay, Jesus, that's, that's maybe a bit extreme. It's a little on the nose. Or we hear, go and sin no more. I, I can't do that, Jesus. Question is, are we listening? How many of you who are married have ever heard this phrase, you're just not listening to me. I hear my wife, but am I listening to what she is saying? Do I understand what she means? God help me. I'm glad that landed. (laughs) There is a huge difference between listening and hearing. Let me give you an example. I've heard Taylor Swift's new album. I don't understand the hype. I really don't. Who knows who Taylor Swift is? Raise your hand. Okay, good. There's not a lot of hands being raised. That's a good thing. Now listen, I've listened to U2's Joshua Tree album more times than I can remember. And I know that it's gone deep. And that's my point. Listening takes place when what I have heard becomes what I hold dear. What I have heard becomes what I hold. Some of you are hearing God. You, You might hear his voice in your life, but are you listening? Are you intentionally hearing and adopting what he says? Are you passionate about it? Because that's where love for God flourishes. It's easy to think of loving Jesus in merely sentimental or emotional terms. And it's amazing when our love for God has sentiment and has passion, when we feel deeply for God and the things of God, but our passion and feeling for God must always be connected to keeping his commandments or it isn't love at all. This is the essence of what James meant when he wrote, be doers of the word and not hearers only. James is describing what listening looks like to hear and respond. I had you turn to Matthew chapter 7. You can turn there now. With this in mind, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus recorded here in Matthew 7, where he teaches the parable of the wise and foolish builder. Look at verse 24 with me. Jesus says this. I'll wait for you to get there, sorry. 
Matthew 7 and verse 24. Jesus says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. If you have a pen, underline that. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew. I'm from Florida now, so I understand how significant that is. The rain, the floods, the winds. They beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Ah, oh, but verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus makes it very clear in this parable. Listen, Jesus makes it very clear that everyone hears, everyone hears the difference though between wisdom and foolishness is doing, listening. Here's an Old Testament example. In 1 Samuel 15, the prophet Samuel is rebuking King Saul for his failure to obey God's law. And in turn, God decides to reject Saul as king and seek another one who would follow after his heart. Samuel says to Saul in 1 Samuel 15, 22, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than the offering of the fat of rams. Again, we see that what matters most to God is our obedience to his word. Jesus makes sure to emphasize this with his disciples. Love for God cannot be reduced to simply a feeling or a state of being in love. Rather, love is a response, and that response begins with listening. And listening leads to obedience. I want to illustrate this briefly with the life and ministry of, of the Apostle Peter. I think this is a beautiful illustration for us. There's a moment that takes place between Jesus and Peter that's recorded at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 21. And it speaks beautifully to the relationship between love and service for God. Remember, Peter, God bless him, Peter denied Jesus three times publicly. And after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we see Jesus meet his disciples at the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he shares a meal with them. And during this meal, Jesus turns to Peter in a very public way, asks Peter three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? How many times does Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? Three times. There's a connection taking place here. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And each time Peter responds with yes, Jesus responds with a call to duty. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my lambs. Do something about it. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Tend my sheep. Do something about it. Peter, do you love me? And then the third time Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. 
I believe that Jesus is cementing for Peter and for us that love for him is demonstrated in our willingness to listen and obey the call that he has placed on our lives. If you love me, you will listen. And if you listen, you will obey. Listen, it can be very easy to misunderstand what I'm saying today. It's easy to hear a message about obedience and think, well, what, what about grace? Pete, what about grace? And am I somehow expected to perform for God in order to express my love? And to that sentiment, I would simply say, you're, you're hearing me wrong. I am not saying that our love for God and his love for us is based on moral performance and how well we obey. This might be helpful for you today. Obedience to Jesus is not for salvation, but from it. Obedience to Jesus is not to earn favor, but from favor. Obedience to Jesus is not for love, but from love. Can I hear an amen? Do you see the difference? This involves grace. You're not performing, you're responding. Charles Spurgeon was quoted saying this, the essence of obedience is found in the love which prompts obedience rather than the act of obedience itself. It's in the love that prompts you. So we don't perform for love, but I will say this, it is impossible to love God and not obey him. I'll say that again. It's impossible to love God and not obey him. Think of it this way for you visual learners like me. Obedience is an overflow from our love. But love for God is measured in how we listen. And how we listen is measured in how we obey. It's like a circle. Obedience is an overflow of our love. But our love is measured in how well we listen. And how well we listen is measured in how well we obey. This is a circle, and in this circle, we discover what is the joy of knowing Jesus and following after him. It is an endless pursuit of his goodness from his goodness. Jesus says, if you love me, my words, my truth, they will be more than something you hear. They will be something that moves from your ears to your head to your heart and then embodied in your life. This brings me to my second point today. If love equals listening, then listening leads to life. Look at verse 23 with me in John 14. You can turn back. Verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. This is beautiful. A blessing is given to us when we listen and obey. We typically think uh, of obedience as being one-sided, as if we live our lives as some sort of slave subjects to Almighty God. But obedience is not one-sided. According to Jesus, when we obey, God moves toward us. And our life and our love for him become a habitat where he is welcomed. He makes his home in us. Listening leads to life. 
it leads to vital, loving union and intimacy with almighty, merciful, and loving God. This is the abundant life promised to us by Jesus. The good news of Jesus is more than just the truth that our sins are forgiven and atoned for. It's also the reality that we now have access to God himself, to relationship, to real living, and to a love that lasts. And it begins with listening. Again, I think James hit the nail on the head when he said this in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. My response to God leads to God responding to me. This, this is exactly what Jesus illustrates for us in the next chapter in John 15. We know this illustration very well. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides, or in other words, he who makes his home in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Notice the language that Jesus uses. Abide in me, make your home in me, and you will bear much fruit. Bearing fruit speaks of life. Where there is fruit, there is life. How do we abide, though? How do we make our home in God? Look at John 15, verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, there it is again. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So, how do we abide? We obey, we respond. Coming back to our text, if it hasn't been clear already, Jesus makes it abundantly clear in John chapter 14, verse 24. Read it with me. He who does not love me does not keep my words. I think one of the clearest warnings that scripture has to offer us when it comes to failure to listen and the warning toward living lives of disobedience is the overarching narrative of the children of Israel. And it comes from Psalms 81. We know this, the children of Israel were direct descendants and inheritors of God's promise to bless and impact the whole world through, through the value of his law and the lives of his people. They were to be lights that shined in darkness. They were to be an influence that would preserve and direct toward righteousness and right living. But in many ways, they failed in their calling. I bring up Psalm 81 because the author, who is Jewish, Asaph, writes a scathing and heartbreaking review of the nation of Israel. In this psalm, Asaph describes how God offers and extends mercy and grace to fulfill and meet his people's every need and want, and that he is the only one who can, the only God who can. L listen to these words. Asaph writes, O Israel, if you will listen to me, it's on the screen, 
If you will listen to me, you shall have no foreign God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. God is pleading with his people here. Don't love, don't worship, don't listen. Don't give your allegiance to false gods. I am the one who has rescued you. I have redeemed you. I have set you free from bondage. He says in verse 10, open wide your mouths and I will fill them. God is promising, I will satisfy you. I will fulfill the longing of your hearts. But Asaph notes that the people didn't listen. In verse 11 of Psalm 81, Asaph writes this, but my people would not heed my voice and Israel would have none of me so I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Look, listening leads to living, but failure to listen leads to the opposite. Failure to listen leads to destruction. When we fail to listen to God, we aren't loving God, and this leads to disordered love and disordered love leads to idolatry, and idolatry is the root of all evil. I think the scariest thing when we fail to listen to God is that really we make ourselves to be our own gods, given over to our own counsel. And if there's anything I've learned in my short-lived life, it is that we make terrible lords of our own lives. I think this message begs a question. If listening equals love and listening leads to life, then how do we listen? How do we move as people from simply hearing Jesus to listening to him? I have three thoughts to leave you with this morning. The first is this. We make ourselves available to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. It would be a mistake, it would be a failure on my part to not mention the major emphasis in our passage this morning in John 14 on the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus is preparing his disciples for ministry apart from his physical presence. He is going away to be with the Father, but he isn't abandoning them. Look at verse 15 of John 14 with me. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. That is such a comfort to my heart that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Jesus mentions three things about the Holy Spirit's mark in the life of every believer. First, Jesus notes that the Holy Spirit is our helper. Do you need help in your life? Are you struggling? Are you wrestling? The Holy Spirit is your helper. 
your comforter. He aids and assists you in your life as you follow Jesus. The second thing that Jesus describes about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit's help and comfort is forever. How long is forever? Forever. Good job. (laughs) The Holy Spirit's help and comfort is forever. The third thing that Jesus mentions is that his influence and help begins in us and flows through us. It affects the world around us. So how do we listen? Firstly, we make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit as our help and comfort in fulfilling God's mandates for our lives. Secondly, we need to slow our lives down. We need to slow our lives down. Psalm 46, verse 10, I love this, says, Be still and know that I am God. Now, I am taking that passage out of context, but there is a universal truth found in this verse. There is a knowing of God that can only take place when we slow down, when we are still. Our world is noisy. There's so much distraction, so much vying and pulling for our attention, whether it's social media, entertainment, relationships. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've discovered myself having sat looking at my phone for 25, 30 minutes, doing absolutely nothing. Who's ever been there before? Am I the only one? <laughs> like, like, what on earth? This is free this advice, but it's convicting to me. We are not made to know as much as the information is being thrown at us today. We're not. We can't handle it. So can I encourage you, and this is a little bit off my notes, but can I encourage you, maybe maybe you should turn off the news just a little bit. And maybe you should take a break from social media. And, and maybe we should maybe we should unsubscribe from some entertainment platforms. Maybe we should slow our lives down because we need to listen. We need to make ourselves available to not just hear the voice of Jesus, but to listen to him. We need to slow down. This is a helpful phrase to remember. Devotion leads to direction. Devotion leads to direction. What do I mean? Devotion, listening, Waiting, it leads to direction. It leads to clarity. It leads to calling. We need to slow our lives down. Thirdly and finally, we need to allow the patterns of our life to be transformed by the principles and truth of Scripture. We need the patterns of our lives to be transformed by the principles and truth of Scripture. This might sound simple, but we often forget that in order to listen to Jesus, we need to read his words. We need our lives to be informed by the truth of scripture. And I know I'm preaching to the choir here today and you're well taught. But Ephesians 5.26, it describes how God's word is able to wash and cleanse us. Jesus, in John chapter 15, we were just in this passage, he says to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Like, what? 
You are already cleansed and washed because of my words. They've transformed you. Paul would write to the Romans, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our minds are renewed and transformed, and then consequently our lives are when we engage with the truth of God's word, his revealed word. It has the power to transform our mind and consequently our lives. I'll leave you with this. There's a story that's recorded in Luke's gospel in chapter 10. And it's the story of two sisters, Mary and Martha. And both were very precious to Jesus. But as often, usually takes place between sisters, there is a conflict that takes place between them. Martha has concerned herself with matters of the house, matters of hosting, who can blame her? Jesus is in her living room and she wants to bless him. It's beautiful. God bless Martha. While her sister Mary chose to simply sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to his words. Now, although Martha was working hard to serve Jesus, which is commendable, it was Mary who was commended by Jesus in choosing the better part. Here's my proposition to you. Both could hear Jesus, but only one was listening. Both could hear him, but only one was listening. Here is a wonderful resolution for you for the new year. Listen more. Listen to the one who promises life abundant and love that lasts. And friends, allow his truth to move from your ears to your head to your hearts and then through your lives to impact those around you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it never returns void. We thank you for your goodness in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that you desire a deep, abiding, and transformative relationship with each of us. And so we acknowledge that truth today. By your grace, Lord Jesus, would you help us to respond to what you have clearly revealed to us? Would you help us to be a people that not only hear you, but listen and are passionate about what you have to say, what you have to speak. And would you, Lord, by your spirit, not only impact, transform, and affect our lives, but use our lives to transform, impact the world around us. For your glory, Jesus, we ask. We make ourselves available to you now. In your holy and precious name, Jesus. Amen.